We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to Setting the Pace. Now, here's your hosts, Alex Golden and the great Kent Sterling. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm Alex Golden, and joining me as he does every Sunday, but this time at Lucas Oil Stadium, is Kent Sterling. Kent, what's going on? You know what? Basketball in Indiana is a 24-7 exploit, 365 days a year. Whether I'm at Bankers Life Fieldhouse or Lucas Oil Stadium, it's all basketball all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. So Colts are about to play the Jets. We're recording this around 3 o'clock, so there's limited media down at Lucas Oil. So hoping yeah. the Colts pull this game off today. I, I know that the Jets have been made fun of all week. It kind of has me a little nervous, Kent. They are a terrible football team. And if the Colts don't win this one, they got problems. This is yeah. one of those games where, really, if you don't win this, you it's kind of like the Pacers playing the Knicks or playing the Bulls, where you feel like when you walk in, a loss really, really hurts. And a win is kind of treading water, and that's where we are at Lucas Oil Stadium today. <laughs> well, unfortunately, last year the Knicks played the Pacers pretty well, and so did the Bulls. So let's hope yeah. it's not the same <laughs> same case. But... Uh, I, I definitely want to, you know, kind of jump into things here today as we talk about, you know, some things about the Pacers. And, and first and foremost was Brian Windhorst came on the jump on Friday, I believe it was, and said the Pacers are now scheduling second interviews. And he mentioned mentioned four names, Dave Yeager, Darvin Ham, Ime Udoko, and uh, he said ESPN analyst Chauncey Billups is also in the mix. And then, of course, Nick Nurse came out last week on Sirius XM Radio and said that one of his assistants – I can't really pronounce his last name very well, but it looks like Nate B. Jorgen uh, was a finalist uh, for the Pacers coaching, coaching search. So any of those names intrigue you besides Billups? Uh, boy, they're intriguing. Yeah, 
you know, everybody knows Jager and, and feels good about him as a potential candidate. Uh, Darvin Ham played here. So, you know, he, we've got a little bit of history with him, but I have no idea the kind of the kind of basketball coach that he'd make as a head coach. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like the, you know, the big the big risk, big reward type mm-hmm. guys, you know, because I don't think you're going to find the next great head coach in the NBA by, you know, kind of digging through retreads who have coached in the league for 16 years already and have yet to win a championship. Yeah, well, it looks like Mike D'Antoni is more than likely headed to the Philadelphia 76ers. Another report came out today saying that Joel, Joel Embiid has given his blessing on the hiring of D'Antoni. And it, I don't know what, what exactly is holding them back from pulling the trigger, but it, it looks like they're open to making some trades too. So, uh, you know, it, that's Philadelphia. I mean, we were I was intrigued by D'Antoni. You were not a fan of D'Antoni. No. And uh, I, I came out this week on Twitter and said that Chauncey Billups is the guy that I want. But I will I will admit there was a video that went around on YouTube. It was about 15 minutes long, and it was highlighting Nick Nurse's assistant, uh, uh, Nate B. B. Jorgren. I, I can't pronounce that name very well, so I'm going to have to get used to saying that. But I, wa- <laughs> I watched his 15-minute video, Kent, and he's got a really intriguing background. Him and Nick Nurse go all the way back to 1994, where I believe Nick was an, uh, an assistant coach while uh, Nate was on the team at the time. They're pretty close in age, though. And uh, it looks like Nate has been a G League coach for a couple teams. He actually made it to the uh, championship game against Nurse when it was like the uh, Dakota. Some I know it was Golden State Santa Cruz's team versus like uh, the Las Vegas team or the the Vipers or whoever Nick Nurse was coaching. And it was really an intriguing matchup and and how those two came together and how they do everything together and how Nick brought him on. Nick Nurse brought him on to his staff and he basically says. He said at the beginning of his interview here, he said, if you know Nick Nurse ever says, hey, I need to know about the offense and defense about this team, i got to be ready. So he said, I'm always informed and I'm always prepared on everything. Uh, that's just how I've approached it. So he's a young guy. He's he's pretty intriguing. And if you're wanting someone from that Nick Nurse uh, you know, class, that, that group, I, I think he might be uh, somebody to keep an eye on. You know, and we've discussed this before, but let's not get it twisted. You're not going to win a championship because you hired the right coach. You're going to win a championship because you've got the right players. The NBA mm-hmm. is a players' league. Tell me, I mean, if you can think of the last time that an NBA coach won a title for a team, I'd be all ears because I, I don't recall that happening. It's always great players, almost always. It's rarely the coach. The coach can get you beat, but rarely is the coach going to win a lot of games for you, especially at the level of a conference championship or the NBA Finals. You look at a guy like Frank Vogel. You know, Mm -hmm. Frank could win a championship this year with the Lakers. He was fired by both the Pacers and the Magic. You know, he was not good in Orlando. With great players, you win games. With mediocre players, you don't win games. And that's the way it goes. And and some coaches are trusted to a a championship-level roster, and some coaches aren't. And that's the way the NBA is. That's a very good point. And. You know, it, it is a player's league. There's no doubt about it. And the Pacers, you know, they have good players on their team. We've talked about it. They don't have a championship-level team right now, a, champion, a championship-level roster right now. I'm not sure what kind of moves, you know, the Pacers could expect to make or you could expect the Pacers to make going forward. But do you expect – I mean, I guess this is a way to kind of go about this. Do you expect there to be big moves before the season starts? Or do yeah. you expect this roster to come back? You know what? I think it's entirely dependent upon Herb Simon 
and what he wants yeah. and the marching orders that he gives Kevin. If, if Kevin is told, look, I want to win a championship before I die. Let's get a championship for the Pacers. Then they've got to make moves because they don't have an alpha-level player on this roster, and you have to have one of those, at least one, in order to contend for a championship. The Pacers have always gotten as good as they've gotten based upon the aggregate value of the roster, and the aggregate value of this roster as it stands right now is not going to get you to the Eastern Conference Finals. We know that because it hasn't. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to you want to get there or you want to get to the NBA Finals, you've got to have greatness. And this team doesn't have greatness right now on the roster. Well, let's look back at former Pacer teams that have, you know, had deep runs. The only team that made, you know, an NBA Finals run was that team in 2000 for the Pacers. Yeah. I mean, what was it about that roster? Because when I look at that roster overall, I don't see a team that was just loaded with a ton of talent as far as championship level talent, but I definitely saw a lot of guys that were really well versed in their role. They were terrific from top to bottom, right? You had one through eight. You had a really good roster. You mm-hmm. didn't have any great, but you had a lot of good and a lot of good got them to the finals during a time when in the Eastern conference, things were down a little bit. You know, the magic had kind of dissolved and the bulls had completely dissolved in 2000. I think the 98 team was better than the 2000 team. I agree. But you couldn't get over the top of the bulls. So, you know, that's what you had. Now the East, look, you, you got a window here with the East. Look at the two teams in the Eastern conference finals, you know, with all respect to Jason, Ta- Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler, you got two teams that are very much like those Pacers teams where they got a whole lot of good and not a lot of great. And so the Eastern Conference minus Antetokounmpo is kind of bereft of greatness. And so there's a window for the Pacers to go get something. But they, I don't think that they have the talent necessary right now to go beat one of the top four teams in the East. Yeah, and that's uh, we'll we'll get into that later. I wanted to talk about that later, just how our roster compares to the rest of the Eastern Conference. But as far as you know, building this team, you know, a lot of people have said that Sabonis is Nikola Jokic light in a sense, right? And yeah. you know, Jokic yeah. is a defensive liability most of the time. I think you know he gets in foul trouble quite a bit, but he's an incredible offensive player, very smart basketball player. And I look at this Pacers roster. Do you think the Pacers could maybe build their roster in a sense to how to how the Nuggets have kind of built their roster? Do they have those kind of players that they could have that kind of success? I don't. I I would agree that Sabonis. If, if you want to compare Sabonis to Jokic, and I'm not sure that I would, because mm-hmm. because like Sabonis, what he does, he looks right when he does it, and Jokic is a guy where you watch and he's like an industrial league player who is just really, really good. He looks a little bit overweight. He shoots awkward shots, but he makes them. You know, he, he's one of those guys. I don't see Sabonis as being that. The, the thing that I love about Domas and where I think you can build around it is I think Domas culturally, from a competitive standpoint and from a basketball knowledge standpoint, is really at the head of the class of this team. He wants to go out and he wants to win. And he'll do whatever it takes to do that. And I think that that's a, a really kind of sexy combination uh, of personality for this team because they don't have guys like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they got guys who, like, I don't know what Domas wears when he shows up for games, but I don't think he's wearing, you know, like fancy suits and fancy hats and a green suit and, you know, sparkles 
anywhere. Yeah. I think he comes in dressing to play the game and go win the game. And, and I think that that, the non-branding asset of Domas Sabonis and, and his personality in that regard, I think is really, really important to this roster. And that's one of the reasons I don't trade him because right, he's not right. a branding guy. He, he isn't going to be, you know, Domas the, uh, Nomas for Domas. You know, we're not going <laughs> to yeah. get, we're not going to get any kind of alliteration with a guy or any kind of, you know, PG 13 thing. J- Domas is just going to go ball and we need guys like that. So I, I, in that regard, I think the comparison between he and Jokic, that's valid. But uh, I don't know. Like the other pieces, I you know, they don't have a Murray, I, I don't think. I mean, people say uh, maybe Oladipo, but I don't see, see Oladipo and Murray being really kind of on parallel tracks either. No, that's, that's kind of where I was at too. I guess more so the question is, do you think the Pacers could – you know, make it to a conference finals with the center being their, their focal point or being their best player? That's a great question. I, yeah. And that better, and the answer better be yes. Or you got to make a deal and yeah. you got to go out and get somebody who's better because right now I think, and he was an all star. So, you know, the, the NBA also thinks this that Domas Sabonis is the Pacers' best player. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, and I mean, I look at Miami, right? They're a team that Bam Adebayo is really important to their team, but he's not their best player. But they don't have, like, as we've talked about Jimmy Butler a lot over the past couple of weeks. And, you know, you mentioned it last week. He was, like, last in scoring for one of the games against Boston where they won. And you're like, would Oladipo be able to handle that? But it just shows to the level of leadership that Butler Butler portrays. But there's guys like Tyler here going for 30-some points in in game four. You know, you got different pieces that are capable of going off and and not interfering with the chemistry or anything like that. So I I put a tweet out last week. I don't know if you saw it, but I basically said the Pacers, you know, need to realize that having chemistry doesn't necessarily mean long-term roster stability. Because if you look at what the Heat did, they've made a lot of roster changes within the past year or two. And it's not necessarily about finding, you know, or not having guys for a long amount of time, but it's about finding the right guys that understand their role and can gel into, you know, form a solid chemistry with the team throughout the year, but also can, you know, create that culture that's needed. So that's why I think if the Pacers make moves, they have to try to make the right moves that bring in the right guys to fit both chemistry and culture. And you got to hit in the draft, right? And, and the Pacers really haven't. Yeah. Um, they, they, I mean, they, they took Hero, what, 13th overall, so he's just inside the lottery. And then mm-hmm. you go out and sign a guy like Duncan Robinson as uh, an undrafted free agent who yeah. winds up being a really, really nice role player. And you look at the last few drafts for the play, the Pacers, and, yeah, they're getting something out of Aaron Holiday. But you look at the other guys, Batadza this year I think has great upside, as you well know. I'm a big fan of Goga. But, you know, this year – was not a contributor. You look at TJ Leaf, not a contributor, does not project as being a contributor. Having draft after draft like that where you really don't have, like you're not drafting in the first round a guy who's going to be a starter for your team in all likelihood, that makes it really tough. you, you got to end granted. There's some luck to that. Duncan Robinson was passed over by the Heat themselves a couple of times in that draft. Right. And so, you know, they didn't see this coming either. And scouting staffs didn't see this coming anywhere else, or he would have been drafted in the 50s at least. 
Um, but you gotta, you gotta hit on some of those guys. If you're gonna be the Pacers and you're gonna contend, you gotta hit on those guys and then you gotta go find the alpha guy, the kind of alpha guy that the Pacers haven't had. Maybe, like, if you want to count Jermaine O'Neal when he was at his zenith in like 04 or 05, you know, you had one of those guys maybe and our test was just shy of being one of those guys. Uh, Reggie being a veteran presence. So you you had a team that was was constructed toward that end, you know, and and with that in mind. And for the Pacers to go do that, I I think is going to require some heavy lifting by Kevin. We'll see if he's up to it. Yeah, I mean, I was looking back at how Miami kind of built their roster. They've only really had two draft picks that they've kept. Yeah. And and, and that's Bam Adebayo, who they drafted 14th right behind Donovan Mitchell. And they got Tyler Hero last year with the 13th pick. And everything else has been undrafted free agent signings or trades or sign-in trades. So it's, you know, they traded Justice Winslow, who was their 10th overall pick, for for Andre Iguodala and Drake Crowder and Solomon Hill. So, you know, obviously Solomon Hill hasn't really done much for that team. But what Iguodala and Jay Crowder have been able to provide has really helped, you know, catapult them from this, you know, cute story in the regular season to – a serious contender that might, you know, they're one game away from the NBA Finals. So we'll get to see game six tonight. They could have won this game by the time this podcast is listened to tomorrow. So, but I just, I just like the way that these other teams are built. I think that the Pacers, you know, they might not have that top five, top 10 player on their team, but I think if they can find the right pieces, they could be really competitive going forward. And they just have to find somebody to be an alpha male, which we've talked about, but they just don't have that right now. They need someone they can, you know, count on crun- in crunch time. And I hope Oladipo can be that person. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Andre Iguodala. And I think that his acquisition, really, really important for the Heat. A guy who's been there, done that, understands what it takes, can communicate to the younger guys. What that takes is going to bring a veteran presence. I really like that kind of player for the Indiana Pacers. I don't know who who could come over and be that, but going out and acquiring a guy in his early 30s who's got some basketball left in him, who's been a part of a championship team and a championship culture, I think that that would be a great acquisition. If they can't go get the alpha male, go get the guy who's going to lead that locker room because right now you really don't have anybody on this roster other than, like we talked last week, Justin Holiday, who's kind of been there, done that. Mm-hmm. You love Brogdon as a, as a leader, but he hadn't led anybody to a championship. And so if you can go out and get kind of another Andre Iguodala, that would be, that would be a key acquisition for the Pacers. Oh, it was a great pickup, and I actually wasn't too sure about it when it went down because he hadn't played all right. year. So I was kind of like, well, what is he going to be? But we're seeing now, even though he's not necessarily been his former self, he's still that veteran presence. And I think Kevin Udonis has him on that bench, is a, a big voice for that locker room and a big part of that culture. So it's it's interesting. But when we come back, Kent, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll tell you how Miles Turner plans to add horseback riding to his offseason workout routine. <laughs> Alrighty, everybody, we're back. Now, I, I want to jump into Malcolm Brogdon here, Ken. I want to discuss a little bit about the best way we can maximize his talent because I've had a lot of people, you know, asking me, like, hey, do you really think Malcolm's the right fit at point guard to play an up-tempo style? What, what is Malcolm best, you know, what is he best at? Is he best off the ball? Is he best on the ball? Who is Malcolm Brogdon? 
And I, I went through, he had like 10 injuries this year. It's really kind of hard to tell what exactly he is best at, Kent. But I'm curious, where do you think we can you know, maximize ta- uh, Brogdon's talent at the most? I think where he's most comfortable is probably off the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, you know, we got those guys. So I think you're going to have to make a deal to accommodate him at the two. And maybe they do that. Uh, in the meantime, he's got to be the one. And he's got to find a way to defend opponents. You got to be being a matchup with other ones is really, really difficult in the NBA because you do have some big ones. You got a guy like Ben Simmons, who's kind of a point forward. And then you got guys like Chris Pauler, who are are kind of smaller and more traditional point guards. And matching up with either or both is really, really tough for a midsize guy who's about Mm 6'5". At at Milwaukee, he was a 50-40-90 guy. And that's kind of what you need. You need him to be a, a four spacer. And, and I really think that his ability to help this offense was compromised by losing Domas Sabonis uh, to that, you know, that uh, uh, the plantar fasciitis deal. I, I thought that those two guys worked really well together. And when you lose a guy like Sabonis, I think you lose effectiveness with Brogdon as well. And, and so that's kind of that trickle down theory. That I I don't think I don't think the Pacers can sustain. You know, I, if you lose one, everybody else becomes less. Yeah. And Domas Sabonis was kind of that guy, sort of the glue guy in both on both the unit and the second unit. And losing losing Domas really hurt Malcolm. I think those two guys together can really play good offensive basketball. They're going to have to figure out the Pacers will and whoever the new coach is how to maximize that, and that's going to be a big challenge. Is is sort of pre- preparing for those those expanses of time which are inevitable, where Malcolm's going to be out of the lineup. Well, and I think, I mean, I really believe that the Pacers, when they acquired Malcolm, they envisioned Oladipo having a little bit more of the ball handling duties at points throughout yeah. the season because we saw you know especially in that cast series Oladipo was the primary ball handler at times even though Collison was you know Nate's offense ran through the point guard I'll be interested to see what kind of offense we run with our new coach and, and who they allow to you know run the offense through mostly because really I think that Oladipo when he's at his full strength while he still has to work on his handle I think that Brogdon can benefit from Oladipo you know, going back to who he was in 2018, if he can get there somehow. And, and, you know, this is a big year for Oladipo. So we'll be, I'll be interested to see how he kind of pushes himself, how he kind of gets himself ready for this season. Will it be more so him trying to overdo it? Or is it going to him, you know, trying to be the best playmaker and be the best teammate? So he looks attractive to a bunch of different markets. But when it comes to Brogdon, I, I really believe that you're right. Him off the ball is where he thrives the best. We saw it in Milwaukee. He's a really good ball defender. He, he struggles at, with quicker guys. We know that for sure. But I, I just feel like if he doesn't have to be the primary ball handler 24-7, it would benefit the Pacers a lot. And he's a much better catch-and-shoot guy than he is a, a spot-up shooter or a, or a dribble shooter, I should say, shooting off the dribble. More of a spot shooter, catch-and-shoot kind of guy. So, I uh, I like what you said though about Domas. He definitely had a nice, uh, you know, re- they had a nice thing going there with him and Brogdon. The chemistry was really nice before the injuries, and then they never really got back to that. And I'm not sure what it was. Maybe it's right. because Brogdon got a lot, like a lot of injuries, and didn't come back till Vic came back. So now they're trying to incorporate two of them. But it just it just feels like Brogdon 
has to figure out a way to be effective, you know, with both the ball in his hands at times and, you know, playing off the ball. I just him dribbling the ball for 30 seconds in a, in a possession is not is not what you want. Nor is what we want Victor Oladipo being the primary ball handler if Victor's only trying to create for Victor. Right. You know, Victor brings it up and he's committed to finding some opening or getting to the rim. We know what teams are going to do. They're going to send a second defender. And when Victor spins, they're going to strip him and it's going to be over. The, the possession's going to be lost. Victor's got to get better as a distributor and a team first guy if he's going to be the, the primary ball handler or this offense is doomed to fail. Victor, Victor has to be coached toward what he does really well and away from those things that he doesn't do well at all, or this team is going to have a really difficult time winning meaningful basketball games. And, and when you look at Brogdon, too, here, what kind of point guard do you think matches his skill set the best? Wow, that is a great question. You know what? I think a guy, and this, I mean, this is asinine because they're not going to go get the guy. We've talked about him before, but I think a guy like Chris Paul would be perfect with Malcolm Brogdon. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think that Chris Paul is perfect with just about anybody. Um, he, at least offensively, he understands how to get. Uh, another guy who uh, who I think would be terrific, but again, uh, a financial like you'd have to bear the brunt of a huge contract is a guy, uh, you know, like Michael Connolly yeah. who understands, I mean, all he's ever been about from the time that he was at Craig middle school or Craig, whatever it was, or, or ben, I think he was at Craig. He was either at Craig or Bell's where I used to go to their games and he was all about winning and putting Greg Oden in a position where he could dominate get him the ball where he could do business with it. He did that really, really well down in Memphis. He He's a guy who maybe at the age of 33 is best basketballs behind him, but he understands how to compete at the game about as well as anybody in the league. And and I think if he can stay healthy, you, you got something with a guy like Michael. But, um, you know, they, they, you want greatness, you're going to have to pay for it. And you're going to have to get a guy who's either kind of like Jermaine O'Neal was when the Pacers traded Dale Davis to get him, a guy who you really haven't seen develop yet, or a guy who's, you know, 33, 34 years old and toward the tail end uh, of being productive in the way he can be productive. Nobody's going to give up uh, a 27-year-old great point guard. You're, You're just not going to see that happen. Yeah, you're not going to go out and get Jamal Murray, you know, to, no. to go with Brogdon. But I do think, I think that Chris Paul makes a lot of sense when you're talking about who who could fit next to him really great, and that's because Chris Paul can create his own shot. And I and I think with with Conley, he's kind of lost that a little bit to me. It's uh, he can still do it, but he's not as effective as he once was, and that's partially, like you said, injuries and, and the age. And he he showed flashes of it with Utah, but I definitely felt like his season was o- underwhelming. With Utah this year, I thought he'd be more of a of a you know a presence there. I think someone else that might make sense is is on a contract year as well as Kyle Lowry, uh, someone that's just oh, yeah. just tough nose would would go out there and really they could play off of each other very well. But I think you know when it comes to basketball, like Hugh, you're not going to get you know much you know two smarter guys really than than Kyle Lowry and. Chris Paul to, to pair with a guy like Brogdon. Now, do you think that the Pacers would be too small if they played Oladipo Brogdon and one of those guards with them? You know, you, you got to figure that out. You're going to have to. It, it, 
there are teams against whom no matter what you do, you're going to have matchup problems. And there are teams where you're going to have an advantage. It's just, I think what you've got to do is you've got to look at the, the primary competitors for the conference championship if you want to get there. You look at teams like the Celtics and the Raptors and the Bucks, and you say, okay, how are, let's pick out, let's pick the one that's most likely to make the Eastern Conference Finals, and then let's figure out a way to match up best with them because you're, you're going to wind up at a disadvantage against somebody. So make sure you match up really, really well against a team you're going to have to beat to get to a meaningful series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and another person that just came to my mind that I have thought about plenty of times but I forgot right now is Drew Holiday. I, I think that Drew is more yeah. of, a, of an off-ball guy. He doesn't like to necessarily be the dominant point guard. He's mentioned that. He said he likes playing off-ball. But I think those two could kind of play together, share the load, and then you could kind of stagger their minutes. And it would be interesting because they're both really good defensively. I think Drew's in a different class than Malcolm right now. But I think that Malcolm could learn from Drew because I've been really impressed with him at Drew Holiday as an on-ball defender. And I think the Pacers really, I mean, as good as they've been defensively, I think they have a lot of areas they could work on in that department as far as the defense goes. They need to be more switchable. They refuse to switch. They they you know they fight through screens like crazy. And I understand that, like with Sabonis, it's going to be kind of a problem sometimes when you have to make those switches, and he's got to guard those guards. But I really think that the Pacers have to do a better job of that, be more adaptable. And, you know, the biggest the biggest threat to me for Malcolm is his outside shooting and his consistency at the free throw line. Um, if, yeah. he can, if he can get to the foul line and he can knock down some open threes, that's going to open up his game a lot more. And, and once he has that three-point presence back as a catch-and-shoot type of player, that's going to allow him to take guys off the dribble more when they come to close out on him and then get to the foul line. So I just I, – I mean, he's still a young player, got a lot of injuries. I'm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by him, Kent, and I don't want to trade him at all because I think his leadership is way too valuable to this locker room, especially with all the transitions they're making with – who knows if Oladipo is going to be here next year? What's the status between Turner and Sabonis? And then adding a new coach, you need that voice of reason. You need that comfort or that uh, security blanket. And I think that the Pacers are relying heavily on Malcolm being that security blanket to try to get everything to work together. Well, and we know this, that Kevin Pritchard targeted Malcolm Brogdon not as a stopgap, but as a foundational player for this franchise who is going to be a cultural leader within it. And and so, yeah, they I cannot see a circumstance unless something preposterous was offered that they're going to try to trade Malcolm Brogdon. I, I think he he and, and Domas are the two guys around which this thing's going to orbit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether that means dealing Miles or it means dealing Vic or whatever it means, if they make deals this offseason, depending on who they hire as a coach, I guess, and getting some input from from uh, from that guy or lady, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think that Malcolm is a foundational piece for this franchise, uh, not just in terms of, and you could see how this is working. You know, the, the Brogdon Family Foundation paired with 107.5 The Fan on a radiothon. You know, he, he's digging roots into this community at a level that tells you that he and Kevin Pritchard have had conversations and he's going to be here for the long term and not the short. Yeah. I agree with that. And I and I and it's really interesting because whenever we acquired Malcolm, I had actually talked to somebody that was with that had connections with the Bucks organization and he said that one of the main reasons 
Malcolm left was because the the organization was not backing up some of the stuff he wanted to do off the court. And I found that very interesting because I feel like Malcolm is a guy that you want around. And it just seemed like yeah. I I'm not sure what uh, the governors or the ownership there was thinking with, with Milwaukee and Brogdon, but I'm glad he's on the Pacers. But my biggest fear is if, if Brogdon and Sabonis are your two best players, how far does that get you? I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, are they good enough to really push for a deep playoff run? Or are they just a good regular season team? Well, and are they going to be able to stay healthy enough to be, if they do kind of, if, if they assume the mantle that you need them to assume and become the level of competitors in the NBA that they need to in order for you to become a championship-level franchise, are they going to be able to stay healthy enough to be able to get all of that done? You know, that's a. I think it's an unfair question to ask about Domas because he's not injury-prone. But with Malcolm, I mean, that's a, over the course of a couple of years, a lot of injuries to a lot of different body parts in a lot of different circumstances, and that never bodes well. No, and I think at that at that point you're going to have to really rely on having three point guards deep that you can trust, and that's why I don't think that they get rid of T.J. McConnell, who has a team option. I think that they pick that up as quick as possible just because they need to make sure that if Malcolm goes down again, they've got that security with both McConnell and Aaron Holiday, who I am excited for both of them going forward, but especially Aaron Holiday. I want to see what he does possibly in a different role. I want to see him maybe get a little bit more of a chance at that backup point guard spot and running the offense, just just to give him some opportunities to grow from it. Because I really don't see like a guy that's six foot tall with a six seven wings, wingspan. I don't see how effective he can be as a as a guard, as a wing player, you know, having a huge impact being so undersized. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and uh, I but I would say this about TJ McConnell too that he's a really important guy oh, where it is. comes to the culture of the team. He's a guy, exactly. number one, with the fans. Fans love the guy, and the energy that he brings when he reports is huge. I'm not that big a, a fan of talking about energy like it's the cure-all for everything. If energy was the thing that caused winning, you know, a lot, you wouldn't just have LeBron going to, the, going to the championship for his 10th time. You know, it would it would be a lot of other teams because it wouldn't be the quality of play to be the passion of the play. Mm -hmm. And, and so uh, quality has a lot to do with it. But I think that TJ is a guy who brings lift and over, over the course of an 82 game season, you need that kind of guy. And I think that he was really important in the development this past season of Aaron holiday, where he'd put his arm around him and he'd talk Aaron holiday through different circumstances, both physically and emotionally and put him in a position where he could succeed. And I think having a guy who's not all about me, 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 but is about you, 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 I think that's critical for a young team like the Pacers. Well, I think the ceiling is much higher for Aaron Holiday than it is T.J. McConnell. Oh, just sure. Be, just because of what, you know, all the all the attributes and the assets that Holiday brings to the table. But, you know, he's not going to be able to explore those and, and give those chance give those talents a chance to blossom if he's not given opportunity. So, I mean, we know that Nate did not play the young guys very much. They were very strict on them, put a short leash on them. You know, they mess up, they're out of the game, but he trusted his veterans. I'm just hoping whoever our new coach is has a little bit, you know, looser of a leash in a sense to allow these young players like a Goga, like an Aaron Holiday, to get some actual minutes to develop their game throughout the regular season because come playoff time, come injury time, you're going to want these guys to be healthy. Yeah. So 
But uh, anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll discuss why TJ Warren switched from playing video games to board games and how that has strengthened his basketball mind. We'll be right back. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Mike Fauci here, and while the Pacer season may be done, winning season returns at my bookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means Survivor, Super Contest, and Squares. At my bookie, winning season means hitting all your parlays and your props with your feet up, counting this money. Rejoice. Because it's time to celebrate the NFL season, which is nearly upon us. Invest in your intuition. Use promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play. Yes, I said up to $1,000 in free play. Designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want to make is waiting for you. At my bookie with a chance to win big. I'm talking, it's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect that cash, and you're going to use promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins, no, 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 not next week, not tomorrow, but today, only at my bookie. And overtime is going all in for our listeners. We're giving away $500 cash to one lucky person who takes advantage of this offer. And when you make your deposit, take a screenshot of your MyBookie account and email it over to overtime at advertisecast.com. That's overtime at advertisecast.com. That's C-A-S-T dot com. $500 will be given away at the end of September. So why would you want to place a bet with anyone? other than my bookie. And at the end of the day, let's go Pacers. All right, everybody, we're back. And now we're going to discuss how this Pacers roster, this current Pacers roster, I should say, compares to the rest of the Eastern Conference. So, so Kent, do you think this Pacers current roster, I mean, how do you see them? How do you see them comparing to the rest of the East? Well, I mean, here's the way I think it's important to look at it, It is comparing the best three players from each team, right? I I don't think it matters beyond that, if you're talking about the ability to win a championship. And so I would say that the Pacers are likely where they finished, and that's fourth, fifth, sixth in the East. I I think that if they return everybody intact and Victor Oladipo is healthy, I think they've got a chance to maybe move up a little bit, but that's where I see him, and I see the ceiling for the team being the conference semifinals mm-hmm. the way it is right now. And and maybe they hire a coach who's good enough. to. Get, I, I always go back to this. There's a guy named Lou Boudreau who used to uh, broadcast Chicago Cubs games, Hall of Fame player in, in Major League Baseball for the Cleveland Indians and a, a manager, youngest player manager in the history of baseball. And he always said that a baseball manager – could win you four games during a season, a good one. But a bad one could lose you 25 games. And I tend to think that way about NBA coaches as well. I I think it's a player's league and that if you're lucky, you're going to have a coach who doesn't lose you games and maybe through schematics, late game use of timeouts, that kind of stuff, he's going to find a way to win you three or four games. 
And so if you hire the right guy, I think, and and you make this a plus four team. So instead of winning, let's say 50, which they probably would have won 50 to 52 this year, all of a sudden you're 55, you know, you're, you're a better regular season team, but I don't know if that helps you in the end win playoff series. And, and so I don't know how important that coach is, but from a roster perspective, I would say Old Depot, Brogdon, and Sabonis, those top three guys. And, you know, I think they're good enough for fourth or fifth. Yeah, the other two. And, and really, you're pretty good. But I don't know whether it matters how good your fourth and fifth best players are. You know, yeah. you don't see that carrying a team to an NBA title very often. No, you don't. I mean, look at the look at the benches the Warriors have had some of the time. I mean, it's basically yeah. just been six or seven guys that they really relied on. And I, I mean, I look at this Lakers team right now that just made the uh, you know the NBA Finals, and it's LeBron and Anthony Davis. And then around that, you've got Kuzma, Caruso. You know, Dwight Howard has kind of come back a little bit, and he's he's shown some nice flashes. Uh, Rondo has played pretty well. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it just comes down to finding experienced guys that understand their role that can complement the, the the top three players on the team. And I'll be intrigued. I'm intrigued by TJ Warren a lot, you know, as a, yeah. as a player, just because, you know, if <laughs> he was our best player in the bubble. And so now you're, you're basically putting him as our fourth best player when everybody's healthy. So, I mean, how big of an impact can he be going up against some of these teams? Cause I think he could make a difference, especially if he continues to develop that three point shot and continue to be a really good defender. Could he jump into that top three? It's possible. Because I really, I really like his game, but I mean, looking at the rest of the East, I mean, I think you got to look at the two teams in the finals, Eastern Conference Finals, right now. Boston, you know, you got Tatum, uh, Kimba, and Jalen Brown as their top three, with Marcus Smart as a really close fourth, and Gordon Hayward in there. I mean, that's a really good five, Kent. And in Miami, they've been really solid with Jimmy and Bam, and they've been surrounded by Dragic, who's been unbelievable this playoffs. Tyler Heroes come out of nowhere, and then of course they've got Crowder and Iguodala complementing them. The Bucks have been kind of an interesting team because I don't like their big three. I like their big two with Middleton and and, and yeah. Antetokounmpo, but I don't know if I like the third piece, whether it's Bledsoe or Brooke Lopez, and, and who knows how long Giannis is going to be there. So, I mean, there is an opportunity, you know, a window of opportunity there because if things go a little sour for Milwaukee, they could be a team that isn't as, you know, impressive, but maybe this, you know, getting knocked out kind of gives them a bad taste in their mouth. So I'm going to give you a contrary view on T.J. Warren. Okay. That if T.J. Warren leaps into your top three, that says more about your top three than mm-hmm. it says about T.J. Warren, and that's problematic. You need T.J. Warren not to be a 22-point-a-game guy. You need T.J. Warren to be a 14-point-a-game guy. And if you've got T.J. Warren as a 20-point-a-game guy, then you've got deficiencies in your top three, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I, and I said this actually – it might have been off air. I said it to Jay Michael. We were talking a little bit. I said what I would have liked to have seen Nate McMillan do during that playoffs. I could have mentioned on the podcast. I can't remember. But I, I said I would have been intrigued by you know kind of pulling Warren out early like they did with Sabonis and letting him kind of run with that second unit, similar to how Dragic ran with the Heat second unit, giving yeah. him that opportunity. Because I think Warren, at his best, could be like on a, on a championship-level team, could be more of a six-man type of guy. And someone in that role, he's probably your fourth or fifth best player, but comes off the bench and provides that bench load, you know, carries that bench load as a guy that can get to the basket. You can run the offense through, and you don't have to rely heavily on your starters to do everything for you. And I feel like sometimes with all the 
guys on the roster needing the basketball, he kind of gets left out in a sense of, of how many touches he's going to get, where his flow, his game flow is going to come from. And I'm not necessarily, and we actually talked to, it was a, a Charlotte Hornets beat writer before the season started about Jeremy Lamb, and he kind of suggested I actually would start Lamb over Warren because I think Warren could provide more of a bench scoring punch than Lamb could. So it's a, it's, huh. a, it's a unique situation just because he said I like Lamb a lot, but he said I think Warren's a better scorer and someone that can make more sense. And so depending on which way the Pacers go, if they keep Miles, if they don't, if they want to play Warren at the four, what they want to do, I don't know if Warren could handle coming off the bench full time, but I think getting him in the right rotation where he plays – a heavy amount of minutes with the bench would benefit both the bench and the Pacers all around. I think that that's absolutely true. And, and I like the idea of mm-hmm. starting lamb and, and having, and, and having a mix, you mm-hmm. know, where, where maybe Jeremy plays 27 minutes and Warren plays 27 minutes also, you know, not to make a, that's not 48, but yeah. those guys could coexist periodically just, in the same way that, you know, Turner and Sabonis can coexist and they, and they can share minutes. Um, but this, uh, again, if you don't have, and I agree with what you said about the Bucks, I, the Bucks one and two, really, really good. And we saw their flaws this past year, yeah. you know, in, in the playoffs, in the bubble. Um, but I think there's an opening in, in the East if if Kevin Pritchard can become kind of that traitor Kevin that he was in Portland. I think the Pacers have a chance to make a deal that that can kind of set this roster right, where you can you can get rid of a couple of pieces, bring in uh, a different piece, and if Dan Tony winds up being the guy with the 76ers, I think there are ways to work with them, and 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 maybe do a deal that brings uh, a really good player here. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think that this is another big off season. We say it every year, but it's another big off season for Kevin and he's going to have to get something extremely right. He's going to have to make that kind of that signature deal that puts the Pacers kind of on the precipice of, of moving into the top three because they're not a top three team right now in terms of that roster and a good coach isn't going to get it done. No. And I mean, we, we haven't even really touched the surface with Brooklyn, Having Kevin Durant and Kyrie coming back, and yeah, they've right. got and they've got some pieces they can move. Spencer Dinwiddie's a pretty good basketball player. Karis Levert's you know a young basketball player that showed some promise in the bubble as well. Uh, Jared Allen, another guy they want to bring back. Their shooter Joe Harris, and you know of course DeAndre Jordan, you know the guy that came along with the two superstars. He's there, and it was interesting. I don't know why, but Vince Carter came out and said. Oh, DeAndre Jordan could be that third star for the Nets. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that, Vince, but I, I do think that he's going to get an opportunity. He's a good rebounder. He kind of reminds me of the Dwight Howard role with the Lakers. Kind of knows his role, and yeah, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be as good as Dwight was this playoff. But there's definitely some hopefulness for that, I guess, for the, for the Nets fans. And I think you're going to be really, you know, it's going to be intriguing to see Steve Nash, you know, evolve as a coach. Because I think that they're going to do some different things. They're going to play a lot different than people are expecting. DeAndre might start, but they might finish a lot of games with Kevin Durant playing center. So who really knows how good this Brooklyn team is? But I think that they've got to be accounted for as a top four team, just because Durant's that good. And then and then you're talking about you know Toronto. They have a lot of free agents you know pending. Serge Ibaka, Marcus Saul, Fred VanVleet. So they've got uh, yeah. some potential you know roster shakeups there. What do they do? I think they're still going to be considered a top four, top five team. So 
really, like you said, the Pacers to me are a trade or two away from really, you know, solidifying themselves as a team that can get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I'm not necessarily saying just make a trade to make a trade, but if they get a right, the right piece out there or the right move out there, they cannot be, you know, so worried about messing with the chemistry. They got to make changes. And maybe they find a, a willing partner in the Bulls. You know, yeah. uh, the Bulls with Billy Donovan, they've got some pieces that really don't fit in Chicago. But I don't think that they they're going to give up any of the pieces that the Pacers really need to like move it, for the Pacers to add somebody who is in their top three players it is going to take a really, really cagey coin move. And uh, I don't know that the Bulls have got a got a guy. Who, I, I keep thinking about Thad Young and you get marginally better with Thad Young as part of this roster. And he's got no home in Chicago and he loves it here. But uh, Thad Young. Thad Young's a, a guy, if he's your seventh best player, that's a pretty good thing. You know, that's kind of just who Thad Young is. I personally like him a lot, just like I personally like Mike Connolly, so I always bring him up, <laughs> even though he's 33 years old. You know, it's uh, certainly his best basketball is behind him. But, you know, maybe, and that's not the kind of move that we're talking about. You know, going out and getting a guy like Thad. Mm-hmm. It is not going to elevate you from being the fifth best team in the conference to being the third best team in the conference. So it, you got to go get a real guy and you got to go get a centerpiece. And I don't know whether the Pacers have the, the assets available to go pull that kind of deal off. No, and I'm not sure either. And I'm, you know, there's a name that I've always kind of been intrigued by as a player. And I don't know necessarily if his fit makes sense with the Pacers. That's Aaron Gordon. I just, I just yeah, see a guy right. that's real athletic. He's, you know, Zach Lowe has talked about it several times on his podcast because I really feel like if he's in the right environment, he could be a really, really good defender. He's a poor three-point shooter. He's very inconsistent in that you know department. But I just feel like you know there was a report that came out today from bballrumors.com, and it says, according to Forbes, Sean Devaney, one Eastern Conference executive sees Gordon on the move, and he said, in a quote, they were really trying to deal him before the deadline, but they weren't getting the assets back they wanted. It'll be easier to move that contract when it's only got two years left. He's probably the most, most likely big name to be traded. He's a good gamble. He's only 24 years old. And I think that's part of the right. thing that intrigues me is the age. It's it's very similar to TJ Warren and to me because Warren, right. you, you know, was with Phoenix for about five years before he was dealt to the Pacers. And I, and I think that Aaron Gordon could be that same person. Now, the fit is all, always what's important. The Pacers actually had interest in signing Aaron Gordon a couple of years ago. So that's why I right. think that's why I think that name continues to come back up with Pacer fans, and you know if you're going to move on from Turner, you want to play smaller. Aaron Gordon's a pretty good rebounder. Does he fit with Sabonis? That's a question. Could you stagger their minutes where they fit together? That's another question because I've I've heard people have some worries that you know Gordon's better with the ball in his hands. But similar to what we said about Warren, could you play Gordon with the second unit and stagger the minutes? So I, I just think that that's not necessarily the sexy move people want to see, but that could be a positive move in the right direction to try to get this team more diversified, and especially on the defensive end. You know, I, I, he's obviously been a bad fit in Orlando, especially recently, Aaron Gordon. And, and so moving him makes sense. But it, you've got to assess, if you're Kevin, why is he a bad fit? Is he a bad fit because the Magic aren't the right team for him? Or is he a bad fit because he's not the right player for whatever team he plays on? There are guys like that where just because of who they are, whether it's behavior or whether it's understanding of the game or whether it's physical attributes, some guys 
just have that kind of like Ben Simmons, right? Like Ben Simmons is a wonderfully talented basketball player, but can you win with a 6'10 power or point forward who can't shoot threes? You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. an awkward set of capabilities that the guy has that in, in the same game can entrance you and really frustrate you. And so, you know, it's up to Kevin to look at a guy like Gordon and say, okay, you know, why is he what he is? And why does Orlando want to dump him similarly to Miles Turner? Why would the Pacers even consider trading Miles Turner, given the fact that he's 24, clearly has his best basketball ahead of him? What's the thing that makes him disposable? You have to you have to assess that if you're Kevin Pritchard looking at Aaron Gordon. Yeah, and I and it's so fu- funny because Orlando is one of those teams. Can't I can never figure them out. I feel like right. their their roster makeups have always been really questionable. I mean, going back to when Vic was drafted there, they. They just made some really questionable moves. I mean, they could have really had a nice team if they would have kept Oladipo. They already had him on the extension with Sabonis. I mean, they could have kind of had a similar roster to the Pacers, but instead they go out and trade for Ibaka, who they end up getting Terrence Ross for. So it's just like they have made a lot of questionable moves. And I don't think that the coaching staffs down there, whether it's been Vogel or Steve Clifford, have been that bad. It's just they've been given a weird roster to deal with. And I don't like the makeup of them. I don't think they've done a great job of developing young talent. Jonathan Isaac's probably the only one that I've really seen grow exponentially in that in that group down there. So it's just weird to me. Depending on the roster, a coach could win 24 games or 60 games. A coach could not qualify for the playoffs or go to the NBA championship. You know, it's it, you look at a guy like Vogel, there's a reason he didn't win in Orlando and there's a reason he is winning with the Lakers and it's it's really it's the same reason and it's the players it's the fit of the roster and the the ability for a general manager to go out and get the right ingredients if you've got the right ingredients you're going to have a delicious dinner if you've got terrible ingredients it's going to take taste like garbage you know it's the same thing in basketball Absolutely. I mean, and it's 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 frustrating, too, because as a fan, you see the Pacers have had really they've had pretty good fits with the roster. They're just not talented enough. And it's right. You know, they've had I mean, Darren Carlson was a good fit here. Thad Young, Corey Joseph, Bogdanovich, all really good fits here. They all made sense and all complemented the roster really well. But they're just not good enough to get this team over the hump. And I'm not saying Aaron Gordon's that guy. I don't know if they really have the I mean, you're going to have to trade Oladipo and and Turner to hopefully get that guy here. And I don't know if that's even going to be enough because of the uncertainty with Oladipo's contract and his injury. So it's it's really tough. You just At this point, you almost just have to kind of hope that Oladipo becomes that guy that you hoped he was two years ago, and then you can and then maybe maximize on a trade you make for Turner. And then also, if you find out that Vic wants to leave, Mm-hmm. and he plays really good basketball up until the trade deadline, you're going to be able to go out and get value. Right. You know, that maybe isn't going to be available this offseason because his – I mean, you don't know with the torn quad tendon that's been surgically repaired. The the instances of 28-year-olds even having the the injury, you have no idea what that even means to a guy and and what his rehab is going to be and whether he's ever going to be able to get that leg in the same kind of shape – so, you know, you've got an unknown quality and people aren't going to part with with known greatness for unknown, you know, mediocrity. That's that's fair. And it's 
nobody's like you said nobody's going to just jump on this trade unless they know and that's why i don't think right it would be smart to trade him until the deadline and you can kind of get a feel for what's happened and kind of similar to paul george uh getting a lot of noise around him at that deadline there's already been a lot of noise you know we've got you know it looks like a couple more weeks left of nba basketball and the offseason's really not going to start till around november 18th so we're going to have a lot of time here for some downtime to see what exactly the league does going forward what coaches are hired. I mean, New Orleans hasn't even started their coaching search, really. Uh, they've just kind of gathered names. It's almost like they're waiting it out to see who other teams hire. And, and we still have OKC, Houston, Indiana, and, and Philadelphia who still have to hire a coach. So there's a lot of stuff that could still fall into play. And you mentioned it. Whoever coach, What coaches are hired could dictate which way teams go forward with their rosters, which can make more players available. Yeah, and, and that's good because it's going to give us something to talk about prior to the draft, especially since the Pacers, as it stands right now, don't have a first-round pick. Yep, that's uh, that's going to be a fun thing to see because they could trade into the draft if they trade yep. one of their players. They could trade a future pick for this draft pick. But this draft seems really unknown because there was no college basketball to get people, you know's eyes on the talent that's coming in. So, Kent, I know you got a game to get to. The Colts are about to start. So I want to thank you for taking some time on your Sunday to uh, step aside from football and talk a little hoops. My pleasure, man. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I'll talk to you next week. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Ken Sterling. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. And make sure you guys check us out at Setting the Pace 3. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.